The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. Y'all know what that sound is. It is time for the Iron Pits podcast, and it's time for your host, Dex, to start getting loose. Sitting here sipping on some uh, Hearty F Seltzer that just came out. My homeboys from the uh, Drinking Bros podcast just dropped a seltzer last week, and I gotta say, it's phenomenal. Really enjoy it. Sitting here sipping on the peach. No, they are not a sponsor, but they probably should be. You know, I always I support everything they do. You know. So I'm sitting here in the basement working on the show. Worked earlier today, and I could definitely use a cold brew after dealing with the mess today. Well, I ain't gonna really say dealing with the mess today because I didn't really have to do anything. Today is March 13th. You know what that is. Today is the two-year anniversary of the death of Breonna Taylor. And the protesters were downtown marching. And my thing is, you know, hey, if you wanna protest, protest. They were in the park. They did their thing. They had a good time and I was OK with it. But what I was not OK with was them filling into the streets, blocking traffic and impeding everybody else's freedom of movement. Listen, your right to protest does not mean you have a right to stop me from moving freely and going to and fro. Now, you want to protest in the park and be peaceful? That's fine. But they were saying you know what? My protest is allowed to be inconvenience you. And that is not what the American system was built on. No, there's other ways to inconvenience people. But, you know, if one of these protesters in the street and get ran over by somebody, I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to have any sympathy for them because you cannot just go and block traffic because you want people to hear you. And, you know, your, your message should be heard. If that's the message you want to put out, let it be heard. But your message and your cause should not interfere with my daily life. So I don't know what y'all are doing, but I know well, I know what they're doing, trying to breathe life into a dead movement. You know, I think at peak, they had maybe 150 people watching their live stream. And I can promise you that most of those people watching that live stream were cops trying to see what the heck was going on, trying to see if they were going to have to come in to work. That's what that was about. But yeah, so. It's a little stressful, but you know, so I didn't have to do anything. And, and I know what they're doing. See, I've been dealing with this for almost two years now. What the protesters are trying to do, a term I don't like to use because the far left loves to use it, but microaggressions. What they are trying to do is lure us, the police, into a uh, confrontation and an altercation with them. So what do they do? They do the stuff they know they're not allowed to do. That's not against the law, but it's against a... Metro ordinance uh, something in your city that you can't do like what they can't grill at the parks in the city They bring out these grills and they start growing in the park. They know they're not allowed to you know, They know they can't park on the sidewalks. What do they do? They park in the sidewalks they park in you know, they park in the middle of the street They double park and, and they know that hey This is gonna elicit the police to come out here. So hey, let's do it anyway, but thank God our command was smart enough to realize, you know what, we're not going to go down there and put ourselves in the midst of this. 
we're going to let them have it because what people fail to realize is without the police, there's no show. And without the police, this all goes away. And so unfortunately, with that comes the aspect of the public, our taxpaying citizens being inconvenienced by these protesters. And so we're not responding and we're letting them have their way. You know, but at the same time, the people that pay taxes and pay my salary are suffering. And it's a horrible situation to be in for the police, for us. But it's a horrible situation for the people that live in the city and the, those visiting uh, the Louisville. It's a bad situation for them to be in and where they can't drive down the street freely because protesters are blocking the street. And they, But we let this madness happen. And I put this all on the administration and leadership in the city because and on the police department because we have let this problem fester for so long and now they know what they can do and get away with and we let this go so this is all on city leadership everything falls on leadership at the end of the day Ooh, let me take a drink man getting a little ahead of myself wasn't even supposed to go that route this early in the show but i'm already going so initially i was not going to do a show i was supposed to do a show the other day but i'm not gonna lie y'all I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And you know, I got a lot going on. Still a lot going on. But I decided, you know what? I need to do a show tonight because I'm getting on a plane at about in seven in the morning. And right now it's about 1041 Eastern time. And so I got to get up in a couple hours. So you're probably asking, why? where am I going? Well, if you want to know, I'm going to San Antonio, Texas. Because I have another major opportunity. I am going flying to San Antonio, Texas to be on the Black Rifle Coffee podcast, the Medivac podcast. And that's where I will go share the story of how I was injured in Iraq. And and I'll also get to share my book. And so it's a, it's a book promotion for me. So I'm flying out of here early in the morning. And I was like, man, if I don't do a show now, you know, the world's going to keep moving on. I'm going to be far behind on current events. So I was like, you know what? Let me crack a cold one. Let me get down to here in the in the Iron Pit Studios and go and uh, go ahead and just crack out a show for y'all. So that is why I am here. And I didn't want to keep you all waiting because it's been almost a week since I've done a show. But, man, I'll tell you what, though. The last time I did the show, the gas prices weren't too bad. But, man, my God, the gas prices today, the day of me doing this show. Holy. Whew, I ain't even going to say it, man. Bro, these gas prices are higher than Brittany Grider after smoking hash oil and getting taken by the Russians, dog. Was <laughs> uh, it? Wait, wait. Is it too soon? It's probably too soon. But honestly, I really don't care. I'm going to go ahead and say it because you know why? This is the same person who said that we shouldn't have to stand for the national anthem. This is the same person that was crapping on her own country back when it was cool to hate America and it was cool not to stand for the pledge. So my question is, Brittany, I don't know if you're hearing this girl. I definitely don't think you're going to be hearing this over there in the Russian gulag. gulag but uh, if you are, how that national anthem sound now, girl? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not the one to gloat about somebody uh, in a bad situation. yo. But my thing is, if you're going to shit on your own country and then you go somewhere else and commit a stupid offense, you know where you're at. You know what you're doing. You know you can't have hash oil over there. And especially with the political environment we have going now, you're going to go over there and try to sneak some hash oil? You a damn fool, and I ain't got nothing for you. Not a damn thing for you. 
But you know what we should do? Being that Jesse Smoulet has just, uh, you know, gotten sentenced, he's going to be in jail for 150 days. I say the United States rescue a that, that we are uh, the military. We launch a rescue mission. We bring her back and we let her and Jesse Smollett team up and be our roommates in jail for the next 150 days. I feel like that would make a great reality series. Great. I, who would not want to watch that? I would definitely watch that. Uh, this dude Jesse Smollett, man. So y'all know the whole incident with him and the the fake lynching by the uh, this is MAGA country boy, and him walking in uh, two in the morning to go get a subway sandwich in uh, Chicago, and getting accosted by some white uh, Trump lovers. Yo, the whole story stunk from the beginning, and I'm not gonna lie, I'm impressed with Jesse Smollett and his and him riding this lie to the end. You know, when I think about this, I think about the band on the Titanic. That played with they kept playing the music as the ship was going down. And that is Jesse Smollett at this point in time. This man is still riding the lie. Even though it has been proven false, this man is still riding the lie. You know, I don't know whether to feel sorry for the guy or to laugh, but I'm definitely gonna laugh because I mean, this dude is not giving up. Then he makes the weird statement while he's in court that I'm not gonna kill myself. Like, damn, bro. Like, so you know what that's going to do. So now it's triggered this whole protocol and he's going to be on watch, man. So oh, God bless you, America. God bless you. You know, there. <laughs> sometimes I always wonder during the week, like, man, what am I going to talk about this week on the Iron Pitch podcast? And, and lo and behold, there's always something going on with our celebrities and athletes. That's just like, you know what? I don't even have to trip. dude. There's always going to be something because they're always going to do something dumb or stupid. And give me a story to rant about while I sit here and drink on my hard AF seltzer, man. So, uh, you know, and then while I'm on this topic of America's special class and privilege, the uh, celebrities and athletes, Naomi Osaka. If y'all don't know who Naomi Osaka is, she is the black Japanese athlete that plays tennis. So she went to play for Japan during the Olympics. And so she's been battling apparently mental issues, as she says. And, you know, she's like, oh, I have to take off and I can't compete because I got all this going on. So how I remember Naomi Osaka is, yeah, she's a great tennis player. But I remember when she came out last year when everybody was hating the police and it was cool to crap on the police. And she was wearing the whole the Breonna Taylor mask. I think she even declined to play in a tournament because of police brutality. You know, she was very, very, very vocal about me and my people in blue. And she was not happy with us. But guess what happened? So she can dish it out. But apparently this chick cannot take it. So she's playing in a tournament today or the other day. And she starts getting heckled in the crowd. And someone says, Naomi, you suck. This heifer breaks down and starts crying. Oh, so you can go off and taunt the police and say all this bad stuff about us. But the moment somebody says something about you and calls you out, you got a problem. And not only that, everybody came to her rescue and they were like, man, hey, we're going to throw this person out. If they say anything else. Yo, so talk about spoiled, special and privileged. So you can crap on the police, but nobody can say anything to you negative. Huh? And then she just breaks down and starts crying, man. You know what? Uh, everybody said, Dude, you should be more sensitive, Dexter. No, I should not. Like I say, I am the type of man I will forgive, but I will not forget. Just like during the last few years, if you ask me what restaurants in Louisville had a Black Lives Matter sign on it, I could go down a list in my mind and tell you. 
had my homeboy the other day was like, yo, we're going to go eat at this uh, barbecue restaurant down on Market Street. I was like, nah, bro, I ain't eating there. Like, why not? They had a Black Lives Matter sign in front of their window for the last two years. It's not there now. I was like, I know it's not, but I ain't forgot. I don't forget. And Naomi Osaka, I have not forgot the crusade you went on against the police. So you get no sympathy from me because somebody said mean words to you and said you suck. You know what? If only you could hear the things that were said to me and my friends and my family the last two years while y'all were on this false crusade of police brutality that has been blown out of proportion. You get zero sympathy from me. I've had my life threatened. I've been shot at. My friends have been shot at and my friends have been shot. So I don't care if somebody yells, you suck. Because as a person, I think you suck. You know, and that's probably out of line. No, I don't know her. Maybe she does. I don't know. Maybe she doesn't suck as a person, but you know what? Her political standings and her attitude towards the police sucks. So I, I guess that's a bit more fair and a little bit more lenient. But I don't care if you're dropping your crocodile, crocodile tears on the sideline. You ain't getting no sympathy from me because you didn't give me any sympathy, nor did you give my profession any sympathy. And then we got to move on to the king. Well, I ain't going to call him a king. He's a peasant of mine. Mr. LeBron James. The really self-indulged and overinflated basketball player. So I'm sure you all remember there was a shooting in Columbus, Ohio last year where this white officer responded to a scene where there's this giant fight. So the Columbus officer comes on scene. There's a young girl. Her name is Makia Bryant. She's got a giant butcher knife in hand and she's arguing with somebody. She says, bitch, I'm going to stab you. Then she takes the knife and starts lunging towards the person she's trying to stab. And the officer sees this, points his weapon, aims, shoots, fires, and hits Makia Bryant. And she dies. And I remember LeBron James spoke up on social media and was saying, we are literally being hunted down every day for being black. You know, it's just not safe to be black and police are out here victimizing us and then i remember lebron james posted this officer's picture on the internet and was like you're next well guess what this officer was just cleared in this shooting and if you were an officer or if not even an officer if you're just a reasonable person and you saw that video you knew that shooting was going to be justified but because of the current political climate and the hate towards officers These district attorneys and everyone has been going at the officers and trying to slam us for the last few years for getting into justified shootings. And my thing is, people have this assumption that we're just driving down the street. Oh, look, a black person. Maybe we should shoot him. That's not the case. That is not what happened. This girl had a knife. She had her target in her eyes. She was going to stab this other person and said it verbally. Had the officer not did what he did, the other young girl would have been stabbed. But Makia Bryant was shot and she was stopped. The officer neutralized the threat, which is what we are trained to do. Hey, but guess what? LeBron James and the social elites and the politicians and all that, they tried to capitalize on this. But as I've said, truth always wins in the end. You might have to go through hell for a little bit as an officer wearing this uniform. But in the end, if you do the right thing, truth will win out. Now, it sucks. We should not have to go 
through this stress when there's somebody that has done something and we get caught to the scene and we react to what this person's doing. This shooting was justified. There was never a question, but because of people and well, not people, idiots like LeBron James, you know, this, you know, this whole thing is blown out of proportion. You know, I would love to see LeBron James issue an apology to this officer, but we know that is not going to happen. But I am very happy that this officer has been cleared. Personally, I think this officer should have been cleared a long time ago. Investigators on the PD or outside agencies doing the investigation looked at that. But like, yo, oh, oh, she's about to stab somebody. Oh, she's got a knife. She's got, you know, the uh, means to do it. She said she's going to do it. Oh, look, the officer's here. He shot her because she said she was about to stab somebody and she had a knife. Oh, officer, you're cleared. Hey, go get some therapy. Go back to work, my man. This officer should not have been off. For freaking, you know, over almost a year. This is ridiculous, man. Do you know what that does to an officer waiting in the wings that's being investigated? Knowing that your life and career are hanging in the balance. Knowing that you did nothing wrong. You were doing what you were trained to do. But you're still somehow looked at as the bad guy. And just, you know, I'm just absolutely over our politicians, our celebrities, and our just athletes in this country, man. We We put these people on a pedestal. And these people, they're not like us. You know, they are detached from reality. You know, and another sign that they're detached from reality is some of the comments that these a-holes have been making over the last few weeks since the prices of gas have gone up just shows you how detached they are. I think it was uh, Stephen Colbert. He said that he'd gladly pay $15 for a tank of gas because he drives a Tesla and that $15 is a small price to pay. But, bro, you're making millions upon millions of dollars. I don't make that on my police salary. Most average people out here, no, not even average, where you are a part of the social elite making millions. And you're trying to tell us not to be mad about paying $4.25 for gas where we are at in my part of the country. You got other places in California. And if you live in California, you an idiot. That's on you. Paying $7 for gas. You know, it's it's ridiculous. But you have these politicians and these celebrities coming out saying, hey, this is what we got to do. We even had the transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, saying that, you know, the transportation, you know, is going to change and that you need to go ahead and just get an electric vehicle. Mr. Buttigieg, you make how many hundreds of thousands of dollars a year? You and your boyfriend and your new baby. We ain't making that type of money out here, playboy. We cannot afford electric vehicles not everybody out here can afford a tesla and i could afford a tesla but i don't want a damn tesla i like my yukon i'm a testosterone filled american man and i like to drink i don't want no damn electric vehicle and that's not a shame on anybody that has one yo but i'm not willing to pay the price for an electric vehicle right now yo, then we had uh george taki he's the uh what is he george taki's uh he's an actor and I don't know what he does. I ain't never watched none of his crap, but he can kiss my black behind, too. You know, he says that uh, George Taki pleads for Americans to endure high gas prices to put the screws to Putin and sets off a Twitter war. One, I'm not on Twitter. Two, Mr. Taki, you as well, my friend. You are a minority of our minorities, Japanese, and you're a millionaire. So you telling me to endure high gas prices. While you're sitting there upon your millions and millions of dollars telling me to endure, bro, shut your damn mouth. Only way I'm, hey, if you come to my location where I'm located at 
and you drop me off some gas money for the next few months, hell yeah, I'm going to endure with you. But if you're not paying my bills and you ain't doing any favors for me in my house, I don't want to hear a damn thing you got to say. These detached politicians and these detached celebrities, especially trying to hold the moral high ground. And telling us what we need to do to live our lives to be better citizens in this time when President Biden has absolutely demolished and trashed this country. It's astonishing, man. We just got to think back to this time last year, just when Trump had left office, how wonderful the country was, man. We are in a complete different place right now. And it's amazing to look at it. I mean, what was the first thing President Biden did when he got in office? First day, chopped the Keystone Pipeline. And now I'm going to go ahead and say, I am not an economist. I don't know about policy that much. I'm a man that thrives and lives off of common sense. But when you come in and you cut a pipeline that made us energy independent, gas was only two something dollars a gallon for us. But and not only that. You put 11,000 people out of work. And one of the most important things for any country to continue to flourish is energy independence. But the first thing he did was cancel our energy independence and made us dependent on a country, Russia, who hates us, a communist country. And then now they go invade Ukraine. And now, oh, it's immoral to get gas from Russia. So what are we going to do? We're going to go beg the Saudis. We're going to go beg the Middle East, who actually, Iran, just bombed some U.S. bases in Iraq today in her bill. No casualties. But still, why are we on our knees as a country begging people that chant death to America for oil to help us when we have our own reserves? Now, if somebody out there is a lot smarter than me, and I'm sure they are, please tell me, what does it benefit us to get our gas and our oil from overseas, from countries that hate us, as opposed to using the Keystone Pipeline. Not Don't come at me with the whole, well, the environment, Dexter. Well, you see, the deers and the squirrels don't like the drilling, and we're impeding on the foreign natives' land. Don't give me that. I don't want to hear that. I want to know for a fact, why is it better for us to go beg these foreign dictators, these people that hate America, Venezuela of all places, they're Russia's allies. So we're not going to get gas or oil from Russia. We're going to go to their ally. Same, same, but different. And so why are we going to them instead of using our own resources? Makes absolutely no sense. You know, the whole conspiracy theory is they're trying to force all of us to go green and get on the, uh, you know, the whole new green deal. And and I'm sure, you know, down the line, that's a great idea. But right now, that's not what we need to do. You know that America is effing up bad. When Elon Musk, who owns one of the largest green companies and produces the most electric cars, says that America right now needs to start producing more crude oil. And that's going to cut into his pocket and his money. When somebody like that says something like that, maybe we should listen. Maybe our politicians should listen. But they don't care because what's in it for them? Hell, I mean, wasn't Hunter, uh, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, sitting on a energy some sort of board in uh, Ukraine with the energy. I can't remember, man. There's just so much corruption going on. You know, it's just you see this stuff and it's like, you know what? What are you going to do at this point? And there's not much we can do. But know what you can. We can definitely tell 
that the there's an election coming. Yo, how can you tell there's an election coming, Dexter? Did anybody else listen to the State of the Union? And I know it's a little late, but like I said I've had a lot of stuff going on. Brother been a little busy. I didn't get to really address the State of the Union. And there really wasn't much for me to address because it's Joe Biden and he don't really know what he's addressing. You know, but it was just so funny to me sitting and listening to Joe Biden at the State of the Union and listening to the Democrats pivot. I mean, this isn't even a small pivot. This is a large pivot. What has been the Democratic mantra for the last few years? Defund the police. And not only that, what's the other thing that the Democrats have really been on? Hey, it's COVID. Everybody wear a mask. And the first thing I noticed when I tuned in to the State of the Union address, first thing I noticed was, man, all of our country's leaders, well, I ain't going to call them leaders, all of our country's elected officials are really, really old and decrepit. And I was like, why are we trusting these people to make decisions for us, man? These old ass overexpired sitting in the bag of your sitting in the back of the uh, refrigerator like a bag of uh, vegetables that you were supposed to cook that you never ate. Just old and stanky, man. They just sitting there in the Congress. I'm like, these are the people making the, the, the decisions for us. This is ridiculous. And then also notice ain't not a damn one of them was wearing a mask. Well, not there's one or two here and there, but for the most part, nobody was wearing a mask. So I was like, so I guess COVID's officially over now, right? So I guess we're officially done. None of our elected officials are wearing masks, you know? So, and then as President Biden starts to speak about the police, I just kept hearing in the back of my mind some of the chants from last year, no justice, no peace, defund the police. And then Joe Biden makes a statement of all statements. It's time for us to fund the police. And then everybody steps up and just. Yeah. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, what the f- this happened? Did the Democrats and all these people just stand up and say, let's fund the police. After y'all have spent the last year and a half demonizing my profession and my brothers, putting us in harm's way because of your false narratives. Now it's time to time to fund the police. Oh, yeah, it's definitely an election coming. Definitely an election coming, dude. But I hope that everybody that tunes into this podcast Tell your friends, tell your family and everybody that freaking listen to that State of the Union. Do not let the Democrats pivot and make it seem like they are the party of law and order. Do not let them get away with this pivot, man. We have all suffered as a nation collectively with homicide rates and records that we have not seen since the 1980s when crack was introduced into this country, into democratic cities. Do not let the Democrats make it seem like they are the ones coming here to save and rescue you when they are the exact reason why your communities are suffering right now, the exact reason why there's no cops or police in your community. They are the reason why more dead black bodies are littered in your streets. Do not forget the last two years of what has gone on in this country that has all been part of the democrats nobody else conservatives are not perfect but we are not the ones that have been calling for police to be defunded remember minneapolis 
They tried to have a vote to have their police disbanded. San Antonio, Texas did the same damn thing. And here in Louisville, no, we did not try to defund the police. The uh, snake himself, Mayor Greg, well, he, well, not my mayor. No, 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 he's my mayor. Let me calm down. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that snake himself. No, he didn't say defund the police. He tried to go with a cute, cuddly word. Let's reimagine policing. You know, reimagining policing has got us record high hum homicide numbers. Dude, I've made so many shootings and homicides the last few years. I'm exhausted, dude. All the black faces on these scenes are starting to blend together. I can't tell the difference anymore. I'm tired and I'm exhausted. All of the police are. And now, all of a sudden, y'all want to fund us. Now, all of a sudden, the police are the heroes again. Hey, come vote Democratic. We love the police over here. Hey, no, no, no. Don't all that stuff the last two years. Don't now. Nah, that wasn't us, man. That wasn't us. We loved y'all. We always have. But my cry to everyone: Do not forget where this all started, yo. Do not forget. And I think I talked about the mayor in San Francisco who was talking about a couple weeks ago. She's getting ready to get hard on crime. I mean, they had homeless people saying that they wanted the police back, yo. But it was her policies. It was the Democrats' policies that put us where we are today. So, like I said, I'm a man that will forgive, but I will not forget. And I hope that America and all you living in these over crime ridden Democratic cities that you forgive, but you do not forget. You know, it's still amazing to me yo, that we have cities in this country that have continuously been under Democratic rule. And that's not to say that conservatives and Republicans are perfect, yo, but are constantly voting for these democratic policies that continue to hurt your community. And I remember when Trump, President Trump was running for office, like, vote for me. What do you have to lose to try something different? And with the election coming here in Louisville, that is my plea and my cry to the citizens of West Louisville, the black community and the other minority communities in the city. What do you have to lose? Why continue to vote? And play identity politics when this city is suffering. I mean, not just here, across the country. Every democratic city, every city filled with minorities is experiencing the worst crime rate in years. Is that the path you want to continue on? You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that the conservatives have it all together and that we're going to have, you know, it's going to be problem free. There's always going to be issues, yo, but maybe it's try time. To try something a little new. Trying to vote a different direction. It's time to get off the democratic plantation. And take the democratic titty out your mouth. It's time to move on from that man. Try something else. Because the only thing we have gotten. With these democratic policies. And like I said. That's not to say. That Republicans got all the answers. But all look at what we have to show. For how we voted the last few years. In your cities man. It's, it's nothing to brag about. There are more dead black people in these large democratic cities now than any other time in the last freaking 30 years. That there tells you. And now you have the Democrats backpedaling because they know they messed up because an election's coming around and they don't want to give up that cushy job in the House or the Senate because they want to keep that money coming in. But, but like I was saying before, Minneapolis Police Department where George Floyd was killed. 
They tried to defund the police, but this article just came out the other day from lawofficer.com. And it said Minneapolis offers cops 7,000 in distress pitch to increase staffing levels. The agency needs to hire nearly 200 police officers by June 30th to be in compliance with the court order. Wow. Wow. You wonder why. But hey, y'all were just trying to defund it. But hey, now hey, uh, let me get 200 bodies real quick, man. But you know, the, art, the article further states in November, voters in Minneapolis rejected a proposal that would have eliminated the police department. They have also replaced five council members who voted who wanted cops gone. Suddenly, there seems to be a slight shift in the tide as the city has offered police officers $7,000 payments in an effort to ensure adequate staffing. Ahead of court deadline to uh, hire nearly 200 officers by the summer, according to documents released. Oh, man. Sweet poetic justice. I remember my buddy. He's uh, I'm not going to say his name on the show. I don't know if he wants to be said. Yo, but he left and he came back and he went through the riots. Yo, me and him were talking one night during the riots. He was like, you know what's going to happen, Dex? I was like, what? He was like, they're eventually going to wake up. And when they do, they're going to ask us to come back to work for a little bit more money. Yeah. And lo and behold, what do we got right now? What do we have? Exactly what he said. Oh, here's more money. I know we tried to fund you, but hey, could you please come back? And then not only that, we had the same thing going on in Portland. In Portland, my God, man, those poor bastards out there in Portland, those cops. I mean, we were under fire for a year and a half, but nowhere near the level that they were. What we went through for a few weeks, they went through for an entire year because some I don't know why it is. But Portland is like the home of Antifa and communism in the far left. But super weird. I don't know why that is. I should probably do a deep dive in it to understand why or find somebody from the Portland Bureau of Police that is so I can get a deeper understanding. But, man, them dudes, and them girls, and them, they went through it. y'all. I'm telling y'all. And I mean, it was entertaining, too. But, man. But uh, so there's another article. It says uh, aggressive recruitment hiring critical for Portland PD to fill vacancies. Report says Portland police so far have failed to convince even one retired officer to return to force to the force to help fill historic staffing gaps as they face the potential loss of dozens more officers eligible to retire in the summer. The shortage should spur the police bureau to kick recruitment into high gear immediately. City budget analysts recommend in a new report. Simply adding money for new jobs isn't going to help, according to the analysts who evaluated the bureau's $254 million budget request for fiscal year 2022 and 2023. That compares to the bureau's $230 million budget for the current fiscal year that runs through the end of the year, that runs through the end of June. Police are seeking $16.9 million in ongoing funding to boost its authorized 882 sworn officer positions to positions by 67 and add 33 public safety specialists who respond to low lower level non-emergency calls. Oh, ah. poetic justice, baby. I'm telling you, we knew everybody in police work knew that all this was going to happen. Hate to say we told you so, yo, but you know what? We told you so. I even talked about the Portland Bureau of Police a couple weeks ago on the show, man, and just how they treated their officers. And now you're begging these people to come back. So you shit all over your people that protect your city. 
and then they leave and now you're begging them to come back and nobody wants to come back. What the hell do you think is going to happen when you bite the hand that protects you? What do you think is going to happen? This is a complete normal reaction. I wouldn't expect anybody in Portland to want to come back to work there. And then there's another article I just saw today that got published on the Police Tribune. It says Portland sergeant under investigation for email that he sent out that said make central great again meme. So it says a Portland Police Bureau sergeant is under investigation after he included a picture of a red baseball cap with the words make central gate again in a mass email. He sent out requesting officers to volunteer for overtime. The subject line of the mass email was sent at 0953 a.m. on February 23rd. Read central a shift needs one Saturday for 22622, according to the uh, report. One of the officers who received the email reported it to the police chief and Portland police chief Chuck Lovewell referred the matter to the internal affairs for investigation. Man, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to forgive me, y'all. But you bitch made motherfucker. <laughs> Bro, to the cop that reported that email, man or woman, I don't know what your gender is. You're probably a gender fluid person. You probably have no gender identity. You're probably listed as them, they, and your pronouns in your Twitter bio. My God. How do you, dare you even call yourself a cop? And I know we're not all the same. We're not all going to like the same things. We're all going to have level of offense. But really, bro? Really, homie? That's your main concern right now? Somebody sent out an email that said, make Central great again, yo? And for the police chief to even refer this to internal affairs. And you are already in a recruiting crisis. You cannot protect the citizens of your city because you do not have enough cops. But guess what? Somebody sends out an email that resembles the orange man bad. And you're going to make a big hoopla about it. You should have just made this go away and tell this officer, bro, suck it up. You're going to be fine. Yeah, but no, you're going to actually send this to Internal Affairs for an investigation. Yeah. Nobody was hurt. But man, I guess that's just Portland, dog. Guess that's just Portland, man. I mean, this is your main concern. I'm sure the officer that complained is probably the same person that was the hall monitor, the hall monitor four years in a row in high school. You know, I could see if the officer that sent that email had put something derogatory in there, yo, but... This is what this is the hill you're willing to die on, huh? You know, I wish we could. Yeah, I wish, I hope y'all find out who sent that email that reported that officer. I hope y'all do, and I hope y'all run that person out of the PD, man. That's a damn shame, dude. Like, what has happened to this profession? What has happened to officers having thick skin, yo? But ah, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it just makes my blood boil, man. It makes my blood boil. It really does because if you can't have fun at work with your peeps. Like I said, if you're going out your way to offend somebody, that's one thing, yo. But sending a harmless email like that, if you're taking offense to that. And the thing is, everybody probably knows who it is. Everybody probably. We all know who the problem people on the department are, the people that are sensitive. That when you and your boys are roll call, laughing, chatting, having it up, having conversations, and that person walks in the room and everybody's all of a sudden. Everybody locks it up and gets quiet. Because if you know, you know if you say the wrong thing. You all going to be sitting there getting investigated, man. But 
Ah, man. Boy, this profession sure has changed in 12 years. My God, yo. But, I mean, even here in Louisville, dude. Well, I said we went through the crap the last few years as well. And we had a ton of officers leave. We And we still have officers leaving. But now we got magically, the mayor has reimagined policing. But we got all this money. And all of a sudden, here in the Louisville Metro Police Department, we are offering people $8,000 bonuses to come sign up and join the department. And not only that, we're giving people to live like that don't live here. $3,500 of moving expenses, dude. That's ridiculous. But I mean, that's good for them. But man, this is almost like joining the military in a time of war. When you join the military, man, there's all types of bonuses and other stuff you can sign up for and get that they use to try to lure you in to the uh, military service. And it's the same thing now with the police department, man. They got all these supposed benefits and all this money. And man, but it's working on some levels because we got a lot of officers that have left that are like, hey, how much y'all just get paid on this uh, increase? Yeah, brother, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Yeah, so we had a lot of officers that left. We got a few that are coming back, yeah, but we still got a lot that are like, hell no. I ain't coming back to work there. And I can't say I don't blame them. Personally, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing what I do. I love my department. My department not, might not love me and feel the same way about me that I feel about it. But that's okay because I don't do this for my department. I do this for the men and women that I serve with to my left and my right. And I do it for the citizens of Louisville that need wonderful police assistance. And if I can provide that to them, great. You know what? If I can make more money doing it, great. But man, it's just so funny how all this stuff has come full circle. And we are back to where we started, man. We go from defund to police to, oh, it's definitely time to fund these cats because I'm tired of my friends getting shot down and killed in the streets every night. Man, I mean, we are running so low on numbers, man. Today in Louisville, where I work, you know, we had this mass protest thing that was popping up that we were thinking about, but we only had seven officers in my area working. So if something would have popped off, ain't nothing we could have done. Then, you know, it's hard to get a day off. And man, it's just constant problems, yo, because the city let this whole thing spiral out of control. They let this lie about the Breonna Taylor incident just flourish and go unchecked. And that put all of us in danger. And people were like, you know what? This job ain't worth it no more. And they left. And now we're, all of us that are still here left to pick up the pieces of the gaps that have been left in our department and in our city. And we are suffering. That's why I say I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Because I work harder now on a 12-hour shift than I worked ever before on an 8-hour shift, man. And it's just call to call to call to call. And it's just me and my partner hammering out all this stuff as much as we can, yo. And we are shorthanded. Back in the day, it wouldn't have been like that. Yeah, we'd have probably two, three, no, excuse me, not even two. It'd be three, four, five officers on the same beat in the same area to help work something out which gave you time to go do other stuff and which gave you time to actually work on building relationships in the community and working cases. But now we just, we don't have time for that, man. We just go call to call to call to call and you're not getting good service. People, you call me for a report. I'm going to take your report and I'm going to turn it in and I don't get to look further into it because we don't have time. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the staffing or resources. And it's unfortunate because the citizens, the taxpaying citizens in our city suffer.
Yeah, you know, but it's so weird to see our city all of a sudden say, oh, yeah, we got more money to hand out. But we just had a contract negotiation not long ago, and we were told there's no money. This is all we got for y'all. Take it or leave it. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah, we got money. Yeah, we definitely got more money. You know, it's so funny. It's like uh, seeing the, uh, the police department throw money at officers. Well, not the police department, but the city throw money at officers to try to get them to come back so they can fill all these leaks in the sinking ship, man. You know, it's like a rich parent that has a kid that they don't they're not really around. They don't take care of. So what do they do for the kid? They just throw money at this kid. The kid's suffering and dying and just living his life. And the kid just wants some attention and wants to be loved. But mom and dad don't care enough. But, hey, here's $100. Order your pizza. Let your friends come over. Have a good time. That's what it's like right now with the police department. And that's only because our Democratic leaders in all these cities, not just here, but across the country, has spent the last two years Getting cozy with the far left and these extremists. That is why we are where we are. You ignored your taxpaying citizens. You ignored your hardworking officers. You let lies told in your city go just spin out of control and never adjust them with the truth. And now you're at this impasse where now you got to fork out more money. Now you got to, you know, scratch and climb and struggle to find people to want to fill these empty slots on your city and in the police department, but nobody wants a job because they see what it's like. And, you know, you say we need more minority officers, but people see the videos of how minority officers such as myself are talked down to and treated in these minority areas. And especially during the last few years of these protests and all the things we endured there, then you wonder, Hey man, how come nobody want to be the police? Man, Dex, you know any black people don't want to be the police? No, I don't. Because I tell them what it's really like on this side and how they're going to be public enemy number one for having black skin. And they're going to make the mistake of responding to a run. And there's going to be some black dude that then stabs somebody. And that black dude's like, hey, bro. Hey, remember slavery? Man, it was the white people, man. You should let me go. I say that because that's actually happened to me. (laughs) And, And they wonder why you can't get more minorities to come put in and do this job. But, you know, it's. You know what? They're not going to listen to me, though. They, nobody wants to hear what I got to say. Not like I've been through it or nothing. You know, like my opinion apparently is not valued around here. But, you know, I can try my best to reach out to people that are minorities to get them to do this job. But see, personally, I don't play identity politics. So I don't reach out to people to ask them to come do this job because of how they look. I ask people to come do this job and sign up to work on my department because I think they're a person of good character. They're a person of honor and they're a person of integrity. And I know and I trust them that if they put on that uniform, they're going to do their best to represent the department. And not just that. If I'm co-signing on you coming here, you better do your damn best to represent me as your friend and me co-signing on your name because I do not co-sign on B.S., if you're coming here doing that and I said that you would be a good hire, I will take personal offense to that. You know, and it's not just that, but we there's incidents constantly happening across the country where cops are doing their jobs and being persecuted for doing their job. And then they wonder, how can we have to pay people so much to come, want to come be the police? Nobody wants a job. Case in point, Philadelphia 
In Philadelphia a couple days ago, the Philadelphia Police Department, they had an incident where they shot and killed a young 12-year-old boy. Now, if you listen to the news stories, it'll read, hey, Philadelphia police officer murders 12-year-old boy. But I'm going to tell you right now, do not pay attention to the media headlines. They are trying to bait you in for clicks. That is not just the case and scenario. They ain't just roll up on the 12-year-old boy. Oh, look, bang, he did. Let's move on. That was not the case. So what happened in Philly was around um, the PD sees these two kids riding on a bike. It's around 720 at night, and they're near Barber Street and 18th Street. And the officers ID one of the kids wanted for questioning in a firearms related investigation. And so the cops turn on the lights on their vehicle and the kid sees this, turns around and he has a nine millimeter handgun with the laser mounted on it, points it at the officers. And guess what he does? He fires the gun at the police. And so from the story I read, the bullet travels through the windshield and travels through the headrest and shatters the glass. And the glass gets in one of the officer's eyes. So the kid flees on foot. So there's four officers in the car. They're all undercover. But they have on their uh, vest and their chains with their badges that says police. And so they take off chasing after the kid. So the cop fires two shots. Hits the kid in the upper back. And so the kid, you know, they go to the kid after he's been shot. They pick him up and they put him in a car, drive him to the hospital. The kid dies. So they go to conduct an investigation of the shooting scene. Lo and behold, they find the gun. And it's clear that, you know, the kid fired a shot at the officers. And there was also a round loaded in the chamber. So the kid was definitely firing at the officers. But I just read a story on the police tribune today that said Philly officer will be fired for shooting 12 year old who was shooting at cops. Let that seek in. Philly officer will be fired for shooting 12-year-old who shot at the cops. And the article says the Philadelphia police officer who fatally shot a 12-year-old boy after he opened fire on officers on March 1st will be fired after a 30-day suspension, the police commissioner announced Tuesday. Philadelphia Police Department Commissioner Danielle Outlaw said the evidence showed the unnamed officer who fired the bullet that killed 12-year-old Thomas Cerrito violated the agency's policy use on use of force. It's tragic the circumstances that even led our young people out there in the first place. The commissioner said during a press conference on Tuesday, according to WPVI, and it is tra- and it's tragic that we had one of our own Again, go against everything who we say we are. This is the police chief or the public commissioner of police chief, Eric Outlaw. She has already made this officer an enemy of the state and threw him under the bus before an investigation is even done. So this guy's going to serve a 30 day suspension that you're going to fire. him. So we're just going to mitigate the fact. Never mind. That the officers were doing their job and all of a sudden this kid turns around and starts busting shots at the officer. The officers do their job and return fire and shoot the kid. And now the kid's dead, but it's the officer's fault. Now, I'm sure there's stuff I don't know about this investigation completely from end to end. But I mean, I can only assume that, hey, these officers felt their lives weren't threatened. I mean, one of them went to the hospital with glass in their eye from the shooting. But why are we making this kid into a victim? It's sad anytime a kid dies, but 
I don't have sympathy for a 12 year old that is firing shots at officers and then gets shot in self-defense. Yo, but some reason, some way, somehow, the police chief is throwing this officer under the bus already. This officer, the investigation is not even done. And they have already fed him to the media wolves trying to save her ass and the department's ass instead of standing by her officer and saying, hey, an investigation is going to be completed. You know, we got away from this point where, you know, officers word, you know, officers word could be taken for that. And now we are at this point where if it's not on video, it didn't happen. But I'm like, go ahead and just release the tape if there's video, because this is absolutely ridiculous, man. This officer should not be facing losing his job. I mean, there should be a thorough investigation before you're saying that, hey, this dude's going to be fired. Because could there be regional cause to have fired this officer? Possibly. But we don't know the circumstances because an investigation has not been done yet. No, the kid could have been firing at the officers and running, dropped the gun, and the officer could have shot him even after he dropped the gun. I don't know. We can only assume that. Nobody knows, yo, but to fire this officer in advance to save your ass, that is low cowardly and full of crap. Man, chief outlaw, whatever you oh my god, that's just shameful, man. Shameful. You're trying to save your career and save the city for a 12-year-old kid that decided it was a good idea to shoot at the police. It's shameful. And then you wonder why how can we gotta pay people thousands of dollars to come work for the police department? Because of crap like this. And then there was another incident in Chicago a couple of days ago. So officers are investigating a traffic. Well, officers are getting ready to conduct a traffic stop. And there's a guy and a girl driving a car. Guys in the passenger seat. Starts throwing these little baggies out the window. And it turns out it was like 70, 80 bags of uh, some sort of uh, narcotic of illegal substance. So officers detain the guy, get him out the car. And they get the girl out the car. And then the girl starts saying... Man, you don't know who this car belongs to. You don't know who you're messing with. Man, you pro- my auntie's your boss. So guess who who the uh, the young lady's auntie is? Her auntie is a chief in the Chicago PD. Chicago PD. Her name is Yolanda Yolanda Tally, and she is the chief of internal affairs. Yo. So the officers placed the guy in the passenger seat under arrest for throwing the drugs out the window. They towed the car. And for some odd reason, hey, the car never gets impounded. It gets returned to the police chief who it was her car. Her niece was driving it. And for some odd reason, the officers are now placed on desk duty. Wow. Hey, let's give out more bonuses to get more cops to come do this job. But talk about corruption. So why are these officers being placed on desk duty? Shouldn't if they're going to be placed on desk duty, shouldn't maybe the chief in charge of internal affairs and investigations maybe be removed and placed on administrative leave as well while they're investigating her niece and her boyfriend or whoever the hell he was that had 70 bags of narcotics on him and tossing him out the car and was arrested and charged. But, you know, we talk about accountability. There's always accountability on the lower level. There's always accountability to be had by the street level officers like myself and my partners. But there's never accountability to be had on the higher end when stuff goes wrong. It's never them. It's always the street officers. We had the saying in the army, 
shit rolls downhill. And this is just another example of why you cannot get people to sign up and come do this damn job. Because of stories like this, you want accountability. How about let's be fair and let's be reasonable. And see, you assign these police departments and city leaders are assigning privilege to certain leaders and people. But they're just leaving everybody else out of the picture. And now these officers have been reassigned and pulled off the street. How is that right? And how does that make any sense? But I guess when you live in a democratic city and you have the right skin tone, you can do whatever you want. Just like uh, Chief Tally there in Chicago PD. Absolutely damn shameful, man. You know, and it's just like, hey, man, how won't you recruit from the people to come to the police department? Man, people read this stuff. Well, I would hope that they would. I mean, just the title alone should be like, you know what? Let me look at this real quick. You know, and I sometimes fall into the trap where I just look at the title and try to base an opinion from there. Yo, but you got to actually read people. Go out and actually read these articles. Read about what happened in Philly. Read about this situation unfolding in Chicago right now with these officers and this police chief. And then come to your own conclusion if you still want to do this job. Because I will always say this is a great and wonderful job. But man, you have to CYA, cover, no, excuse me, CDA, cover that ass every time and every chance and opportunity you have. Because if you don't, you as a low ranking officer, you will be thrown under the bus and fed to the wolves without a second question. And we have seen that time and time again. I've talked about these episodes on this show, the one in Chicago, the officer in Philadelphia. Man, there was just an officer in San Francisco that just got acquitted on charges of assault in uh, San Francisco. And then we had the officer in Columbus. Man, I mean, the list just goes on, on and on and on and on of officers that try to do the right thing and somehow yet still get thrown to the wolves. But hey. Look at the seven, eight thousand dollar bonus, man. Come join us, though. You know, and I don't I don't know, understand or know what has happened with our police leaders. If you listen to the episode I uh, had last week with Major uh, Bill Christofek, my former division major, you know, like old school, man. He you're right. You're right. He stand by you. But if you're wrong, he call you out on it. And he would do whatever it took to take care of his officers so that we're doing the right thing from a with a good heart, yo. But if you made a mistake, he would take care of you, yo. But you would absolutely not get away scotch free. You would suffer the consequences, yo. But you would not be thrown under the bus, you know. And it's just so weird that we just we live in this day and age where our police leaders don't care about the police, man. For example, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at the Milwaukee Police Department, my second hometown, man. I used to live in Milwaukee. There was a the, the police chief up there. His name is uh, Jeffrey Norman. He has gone and banned the thin blue line that we use to represent our profession and said that it is inequitable and that the blue line image should not be attached to any Milwaukee PD image posted publicly or in any of our buildings or attached to any of the MPD's properties, such as equipment or vehicles. Understand that this is done to have an equitable and inclusive environment for our police department. So this man has been in police police work for decades but he sees the thin blue line flag a symbol of our profession a symbol of pride as a problem in police work that makes the police department you know 
racism that equitable. It's I never thought I would see anything like this in police work. I've been policing and wearing a uniform now for my God over 12 years. Yo, and just the things I'm seeing, I'm like, what has happened to this profession? Not this profession. What has happened to our leaders? These are the men and women that we entrust our lives to to make the right decisions in. They're doing everything they can to crush our morale. Only to advance their own position. Only to advance their own cause and put money in their pockets. Apparently, it's not about the officers. It's only about them. Because the blue, the thin blue line flag does not hurt anyone. Just like man, the protesters today in Louisville. They got a flag they carry. It's an American flag with like a, a uh, African cross colors, yo, and you know, there's people that have all these different types of flags. Why can't we have our own flag that we are proud of? I'm proud to be part of the thin blue line. We don't have much to hold on in this profession in this day and age. And the thin blue line is one of those things, yo, and I can't believe that the police chief is taking that from his officers. I couldn't imagine how fierce they are up in Milwaukee. Man, I mean, my heart goes out to you, just like to the guys in Portland, man. Just, uh, hey, this, it's a nightmare. <laughs> I, you know, I look at my profession and I don't even recognize it sometimes right now. And even though I don't recognize my profession right now and the leaders, I still love it. I'm a cop through and through and I bleed blue all day. I just, you know, just, I made up with it, man. I love my job. I love my profession. I love the men and women of the thin blue line. It's what I do and it's what I want to do. I don't want to stop doing it, even because it's inconvenient right now. I don't want to stop because I truly believe in the mission. I truly believe in the Constitution. And I truly believe in taking care of those who are not able to take care for themselves. And I believe in helping those that are in need of help that don't know where to turn. And the only place they know where to turn is those three numbers. Nine, one, one. And there's a person like me and my friends on the other end of that call that are ready to go and help you as much as we can you know just i love this profession i love the job man that that's not going to change about me it ain't about the money it's about the selfless service for me and yet like i said more than anything it's about the men and the women that i serve with to my left and my right one of the most horrific and tragic incidents that i've been a part of while on the louisville metro police department and wearing that uniform it was the events that happened on the night of September 23rd, 2020. You don't all don't know what happened then that night, but that was the day of the Breonna Taylor verdict here in Louisville, where they said that there were no officers going to be charged in the death of Breonna Taylor, which was absolutely the right call. I'll get into that in a little bit, yo. But I mean, that day was so chaotic, man. We got into so much stuff that day. Because protesters were out and people were upset. And I understand why they're upset. But, you know, people don't understand the justice system. You know, but for me, I understand the anger. But that anger did not give you the right to go out and hurt people and then try to hurt me and hurt my friends. You know? so I still don't talk a lot about the day or what happened. But, I mean, we got into a large brawl on Bargetown Road here in Louisville. But. I will say that the people that I were engaged with on that day just recently pled to felonies and there was nothing they could say because we had video evidence that was indisputable. And so I feel like there was a little bit of justice had that day. 
I remember that day riding and flying high after that incident. You know, we we handled business after all this time. You know, then I remember us getting off the bus at Brook and Broadway and being caught out in the open in this parking lot just south of Brook and Broadway. And one of my biggest fears, I talk about it in my book, I Am Pitts. One of my biggest fears was being caught out in the open in the ambush with nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. And lo and behold, we get caught out in the ambush. And I remember those shots ringing out through the air. And the worst thing you can hear as an officer is officer down. But even worse, what you can hear is officers, plural with the S, down. And looking at my buddies on the ground bleeding and them getting scooped up and thrown into the back of the truck and rushed to the hospital. And then us trying to rush to the hospital to make sure that the protesters don't get there before us so that they can stop the officers from getting into the ER and receiving the help that they needed. But, you know, I remember that SWAT was able to apprehend the individual that night and placed them under arrest. And I just remember the emotions and the feelings running through me that in that point in time, so much anger, so much fear and thinking like, man, if I die out here tonight, Who's going to know my story? And people ask me, like, man, what made you go ahead and finish your story? That incident that night on September 23rd, 2020, that was the incident in which I was like, you know what? I have to finish my story because if I don't and I die out here, my story dies with me. But we just got some news the other day. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not happy about it. But off the person that shot my two friends that night has pled guilty from that incident i'm not too happy about the i mean i'm happy that he got he's guilty but i feel like my friend's lives are worth more than the 11 years he's gonna serve so it says lorenzo johnson entered a guilty plea on monday and has been sentenced to two counts of assault and 33 counts of wanton endangerment for the incident on september 23rd 2020 johnson's arrest report said he used a gun to fire at police multiple times before leaving the scene he has pointed out to police and was taken into custody at the Thorns at 100 West Broadway. The Commonwealth attorney said Johnson admitted to firing at the two officers in addition to four other civilians and 27 other officers in the location. Johnson is sentenced to 13.5 years for each count of assault and five years for each count of wanton endangerment. The Commonwealth attorney recommended charges to be served concurrently. And so what that means is He's going to serve all these charges at the same time. So that's how they came up with the 13.5 years. And they also said that Johnson must serve 85% of his sentence before becoming eligible for parole. So he's going to serve 13.5 years, but at 85% in 11 years, but he will be up for parole. And for me, you know, it's good. Because there is some justice, but it's not the justice I want. And I know just a couple of weeks ago, I was complaining about the uh, young black guy up in uh, Minneapolis that was shot and killed by the officer, Kim Porter, uh, Dante Wright. Yeah, I, I was saying that his family was upset at her sentence because they didn't feel like it was enough. And, and I understand them because their son died. And I'm in that same boat now as though the Dante Wright's parents where it's like, yeah, there's justice, but this isn't the justice I want. 
because I feel like my friends being shot and me being shot at, I feel like this dude should never see the light of day again. But the justice system in America is the justice system. And I'll take him doing 11 years and then hopefully he doesn't get let out on parole. I will take that as opposed to nothing at all. And it's it, and it's just it's disheartening, but it's something. But my God, you know, the, the terror that night, man, and just it's just it, that will live with me forever. And until the day I die, the sound of those gunshots ringing out, knowing that me and my friends are caught in the middle of a flat parking lot with no cover and somebody's just aiming, shooting at us indiscriminately. And I always wonder, like, God, how did I not get hit? How did those two get hit? You know, you know, I can remember the supersonic zip of the bullet still, man. It's just, it's indistinctable. Some things you in this line of work, you just never forget. So I will take him going to jail for 11 years, but I really wish it could be more. But, you know, the verdict is the verdict and the judge is the judge. And there's really not much more we can do. So I'll take a little justice as opposed to no justice at all. You know, and it's uh, so weird where I was on Facebook the other day and I saw my friend. She, uh, and I'm going to shout out to you, homegirl. She posted this shirt and it said police in the middle with a badge. And on top of it said, heroes when we die, fired when we try. And I saw that, man. I just started thinking about all the stuff officers in this country have went through. The last few years with all this craziness, you know, it's just it just really struck a chord with me. And it was like, man, that is the absolute truth. Just marinate on that. Heroes when we die, fired when we try. That has been the motto of the police department. I shouldn't laugh, but that has literally been our motto pretty much for the last few years since all this craziness has kicked off and we have all just been caught in the wave in the middle of this wave of emotion. And we are the low hanging fruit that everybody loves to hate. But I want to say and hope and pray that. And I believe that things are starting to turn around now that COVID's over. People have lives. You know, people are going on and that this stuff is kind of getting put behind us. And I want to say we're going to get back to a new normal. Yo, but the past never comes back. Those days that I knew and loved with this department are over. And so we're getting ready for a new normal. And I think we're there. Ah, man. So I'm getting close to the end of the podcast. And I'm not going to lie. You can probably tell in my voice. Oh, I'm feeling nice after drinking a little bit of bourbon and a couple of these hard AF seltzers, man. But before I go, got to do some house cleaning. I got to not say call it out, but. I got to tell y'all about something. So uh, when I came back to Louisville Metro Police Department in uh, 2020, June 15th of 2020, I was contacted by another officer here in Louisville that's now retired. Mentioned him on the show and he's been on the show. But he put me in touch with this group of people that were shooting a documentary about the 2020 protests and riots. And, you know, and of course, me being who I am in the position I am. I was like, you know, yeah, I'll go do an interview with these people. I had no clue who these people were. Apparently they are very, very far left leaning people and they are not a fan of the police. So I was like, you know, yeah, I trust this guy. He's my friend and I'm going to do an interview with these people. Yeah. So of course I don't get 
the permission from my department because I'm a citizen and I'm not on the department's dime and I'm not on the department's money. And I tell him, hey, I'm going to do this interview, but just know I am speaking as an individual, as a free American, and I am not a direct representative of the Louisville Metro Police Department. So lo and behold, I go and do this interview. And just tonight, this interview, well, not this interview, but the documentary I was just on featured on was released tonight on a new, the Newsy app. And you can watch it. It's called Model City. And it takes you know, place here in Louisville, and it talks about everything officers and this black citizens of Louisville have been through. It's got stuff in there about the mayor you know, and all this stuff. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you all. It is highly slanted. It is very much slanted to the left. And it it doesn't speak well of the police department, I guess you could say. But So I do the interview and I learned real quick after watching this documentary tonight, not saying that I didn't look bad. And I'm not saying you know, that, oh man, <laughs> I'm not saying you know, that the things I said in the documentary were wrong, but I am learning how the media can take four hours of an interview that I did and cut that four hours of interviews down into maybe one minute, two minutes of me. Now, I'm not even going to go with two minutes. I'm going to say one minute in a 44-minute documentary of me speaking and using that to kind of mold shift and turn what I am and and who I am and what I believe into a very slanted left-leaning type of a way so you know the documentary came out you know and it's got me in there and it's got me talking to some of the people in Louisville like Bishop Lyons you know and so for me I was watching the documentary man and the first thing I noticed was like man they really you know they cut that down a lot man my four hours cut down to about under a minute. And I was just listening to the things I said, the documentary. And now I will say there's nowhere in this documentary where I'm crapping on the police department on Louisville Metro police department. I did say that the police department could do better in terms of not going to say officer safety, but getting officers more arrest and getting officers more help that, but that was one of those things where they chipped and cut it to where it just said me talking about officer safety. But now, there was a couple things in the documentary that I just wanted you wanted to address from you all to you all so that you all know that what I liked and what I did not like. So, like I said, the documentary, it's on Newsy, N-E-W-S-E-Y. It's an app and you can go and download it and uh, you can watch on there. It's called Model City. So the things I liked about the documentary, well, excuse me, no, I'm not going to start with that. I said something about the uh, West End and in the documentary, we talk about the West End of Louisville. If you don't know about the West End of Louisville, where I started policing, that is the black end of Louisville. That is probably the most impoverished, impoverished section of Louisville and the most crime ridden section of Louisville. And I, in the documentary, I talk about how, I guess, policies in the past and how the black community in West Louisville is truly underserved. And some of my far right leaning or my conservative people will be like, no, that's bull crap, Dexter. The black community is not underserved. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to this podcast and you know me, I am a very conservative, 
very conservative person and I don't believe in using the things of the past to paint everybody, you know, bad and blame everything on the white people. Yeah, but I believe we on the right have to acknowledge and believe not believe, but acknowledge that the sins of America's past slavery, Jim Crow segregation and all that, that wasn't that long ago. And I believe that it's up to us on the right to believe and accept that those policies and things have affected the black community over the years. You can't sit here and tell me that just because black people were in slavery all these years ago that we're, that we're now free, that we're just supposed to be okay and that there's no issues in the black community and that we're completely just, you know, over all the stuff. Because one of the one things I hate is when people say slavery's over, just get over it and move on. You don't get over trauma and just move on, especially in the black community or where the black community has been underserved for years. The black community has the highest, some of the highest rates of poverty. The black community has struggled. And I say this stuff ain't been that long ago. I got family members that can tell me what it was like in the 60s. My mother used to tell me what it was like growing up in the 60s. My father used to tell me what it was like. So when I acknowledge that, yeah, the black community is underserved, I acknowledge that as an officer and as a person. And I don't think it makes me less of a conservative to say, you know what? America's policies in the past have hurt the black community and they absolutely have. And I don't think that takes away from me being a conservative. I think y'all have heard me say before, I'm not looking to be a strong conservative. I'm looking to be reasonable. And I don't feel like that is an unreasonable thing to say or assume because trauma gets passed down from generation to generation. And we have black people in this country that have lived through segregation. We have black people in this country that have lived through what it was like to be growing up in the South in the 60s during segregation and you know, racism, man. Of course, America today is not that. The America we are in today is not even close to that. Yo, but we can't sit here and say that the remnants of those days is gone. There, there's still issues in America. The black community is still affected. But I also believe that the black community cannot continue to use these things that have happened in the past as an excuse for bad behavior and cultural issues and problems within the black community. You know, so that was one of the things I said in the documentary. But like I said, a lot of the stuff I said did not make it into the documentary. They took a small snippet of what I said and they did not. You know, you did not get to hear me elaborate on that. All you got was, yes, the black community is underserved and, you know, the black community is, you know, ignored by the, you know, the government and the police. That's all you got. You just got that small five second snippet. You did not get the entire explanation of what I believe or why the black community is like that. So that's one thing I wanted to address. Another thing I wanted to address. So during the 2020 riots and protests, there was a, a guy here in Louisville and I still love him to death, even though he's deceased. But Yaya, the barbecue man, if you live in Louisville and you're a cop or if you know anything about the West End, yo, you know that 26 and Broadway was the spot where Yaya used to barbecue. And on that documentary, I talk about Yaya in a positive manner. And I say, you know, but the documentary spins it to where kind of where it's like I was upset that Yaya was killed and I was. 
But they spun it to a point to where I was like blaming the police for shooting and killing Yaya and the National Guard. And that's not the case. So with Yaya, he owned the barbecue stand at 26 and Broadway. Yaya was always good to me. Yaya was good to every officer I knew. He would cook barbecue and the man would not charge us for barbecue. The man treated us like family. You know? And I am still conflicted today as to why what happened and transpired at 26 and Broadway happened. I wasn't even in Louisville when it happened. I was in Arizona. So I was not here. And so it's hard for me to judge the officers on that scene. And it's hard for me to judge Yaya because I don't know what he was thinking. You know, so, but as a cop though, and from a person on the outside looking in with a little bit of law enforcement experience and a little bit of knowledge in the law, when Yaya started firing shots out his store, even regardless of the fact that officers were shooting pepper balls at his establishment because of the crowd, and regardless of why the crowd was there, because it's just a normal Friday night on uh, 26th and Broadway, it's crowded, yo, but the moment Yaya decided to start firing shots, he opened himself up to being shot at by the police and the National Guard. And when he made that choice, that choice ended his life. And so I don't know what Yaya was thinking when he was firing those shots. I really don't. I wish I knew. But a part of me is like, man, I know I hate that he died because Yaya was a good dude. I have nothing bad to say about Yaya. And I don't. I can't sit here and say that this man was an evil man and that he was shooting at us out of malice. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't even know if he knew was who was shooting pepper balls or what was going on. I don't know. But I'm not going to sit here and crap on this man and say that he deserved to die. But I understand why he died from a law perspective and a law enforcement perspective. When officers start taking fire, especially with all the stuff that had been going on in the city, Officers in the National Guard are going to return fire, try to eliminate the threat. And that is what happened with Yaya. And I hate that it happened, but I understand why it happened. It, it wish it wouldn't have happened, but hey, I don't you know. It's one of the things I'm conflicted on, man. I don't have all the answers for it, and I'm not going to have all the answers for it. I just hate that the situation happened and unfolded as it did. My heart goes out to the officers that had to fire shots at him. My heart goes out to the National Guardsmen who fired the shot that killed him. My heart goes out to Yaya and his family for the incident. And because I don't, I don't know. And I think it's okay to say, I don't know. But, you know, the documentary makes it seem like I'm just completely on Yaya's side and that I don't agree with what the officers did. You know, I might not understand what happened, but I understand what it's like from being a cop for so long to where somebody's shooting at you, you're going to shoot back and you're going to eliminate the threat. And it's um, the whole incident was unfortunate. My heart goes out to everybody that was involved. Like I said, I was not here. So I cannot condemn anyone on either side. All I can say is, you know what? I understand why the cop shot back and I support them for shooting back. And I understand, well, possibly want to understand why Yaya was possibly firing shots into the air maybe he thought his niece was being shot at by somebody i don't know i don't know but i don't know what led him to do what he did i don't but all i know is all i can go off of is how he treated me as an individual and the officers i worked with in the west end that would go and visit his barbecue stand you know so 
Yaya's memory with me is not going to be, you know, no tainted or changed. My rep, you know, my belief in him is not going to change, man. I still to this day think Yaya's a good man. Some officers might not like that or agree with that, and that's fine. I really don't give a damn. The man never treated me a bad a, any day I ran into him. He would never accept my money, and he always fed me, and he treated me with respect and dignity. And so I am going to keep that in mind whenever I talk about Yaya or I hear somebody talk about Yaya. If I hear somebody talk about Yaya in a negative way, I will stand up and say something, yo, because that's not the Yaya I knew. And the officers that fired those shots, you know, I stand by them as well. It's just a very unfortunate and tragic situation, man. It really is. And, you know, nobody won. Yeah, the officers went home alive and I'm happy. But at the same time, I think a good man who loved this community and loved cooking, a man that loved the police, lost his life and it changed our city. You know, and another thing I want to address about the documentary. So, you know, the shirt I was just telling you about heroes when we die, fired when we try reminds me of a saying that we use in this profession quite often. Damned if you do and damned if you don't. So the documentary really gets deep into you know how crime in Louisville was kind of elevated and out of control, and the government and the police department's response was, "Hey, we got a lot of people dying. Let's start a specialized unit that focuses on crime that goes out and gets gun and dope in the black, you no, know, not just the black community, but the most hard hit areas in our community where there's guns and crime and dope." And so LMPD starts the Viper unit. And these guys, man, I know these guys and girls. They're good officers. They're out there, I mean, hammering it and smashing it. They got, I mean, hundreds of guns, tons of dope. And you know what? And that was what the people wanted in that time. You know, like, hey, on the documentary, people say, hey, we're dying in our communities, man. Where are the police? Where are the police? Why are y'all not doing anything? And so lo and behold, the police department goes, listens to this cry for help, and they start this unit. And this unit goes out and they are targeting criminals and crime. But then, and of course, the unit's not perfect. Things happen within the unit. I don't necessarily, I can't speak on what happened. I can't say whether the officers were right or wrong when they stopped certain cars or certain people because I was not there. So I cannot condemn these officers, Joe. But I understand that, hey, people might have felt targeted, yo. But you cannot complain about, hey, we want more officers in our neighborhood because there's people dying and the crime is out of control and you want a response from the police and the police give you a response and the police go get aggressive to get the guns and dope out of your community to make it safer. There might be some inconveniences of people getting stopped that feel like they shouldn't be stopped. But then you turn around and say, hey, you're doing too much. You're policing too much. You're over policing us. You're policing too hard. We don't appreciate this. We don't want you in our community. So the police then disband the unit and the police pull back and they, hey, you know what? We're not going to police like we were. We're going to take a softer approach. And then when that happens, guess what? Crime skyrockets and crime goes back up. And then now there's complaints in this documentary where, hey, where are the police at? There's no police around here. We want the police. But you all just said you didn't want us policing in such a manner. You didn't want us doing this stuff. You feel like you're being targeted by us. And then there's the whole complaint of, well, we're dying out here. You don't care about us. Damned if you do 
and damned if you don't. That is one thing I have learned in this profession, yo, is that, man, no matter what you do, it is never going to be enough. And the black community absolutely has some legit complaints. There is a lot of crime in the black community. And I mentioned it in the documentary where, hey, where there's poverty, there's crime. The black community is robbed out of a lot of money over the years due to slavery. You might not like to hear that, people, but that's the absolute truth. Yo. And where there's, when you, where there's money, there's less problems, man, because there's more opportunities. But that's not to say that there's not opportunities in the black community because you have grants and you have all types of programs that the government gives to minorities and groups. So, I mean, there's so many arguments to be made as to why this happens and that happens. But, man, it's just hearing these complaints from people in the documentary of we're being targeted, but at the same time, the community you live in is the most violent community in the city. You want you can't have aggressive policing, but also soft policing at the same time. You know, when you have aggressive policing, you're going to have incidents that happen that people don't feel good about. That makes people mad. You know, there is really no in between, man. Either we're going after criminals and getting them or we're not. And I understand people feeling like we're just casting the net and catching anybody, yo, but if you are out there committing crime, you should have a healthy fear that, you know, I might get caught tonight. These dudes is out here riding deep. But for some odd reason in the black community, we we make heroes of criminals just like the people involved in the Breonna Taylor case. Yo, like just Breonna Taylor, you know, she, I'm not, she wasn't innocent. I've said that on the show before. It's a very taboo thing to say, but I'm not afraid to say it. she wasn't innocent, but she didn't deserve to die. You know, we make martyrs out of monsters, man. And for some odd reason, the people that come to the community to help the police, they are all they're demonized and they're turned against. And so now you have this thing where it's like you're constantly pulling. It's this tug of war with the police where we want you here. We don't want you here. Oh, we're starting to die again. We want you here. Get aggressive. All right, you're getting too aggressive. Yo. And that has been my entire career, yo, where it's like we do something, we hit a problem area, and then we start getting complaints. People are in this area complaining that you're over-policing and you're doing this. So we pull back out of the area. We pull out of the area, and guess what? Oh, where are the police? We don't see the police anymore. We need the police here. Can you all please start giving out $8,000 bonuses so we can have some more officers on the streets? And then we go back to the area, we hit it hard, they complain. And there's, there is no balance. I've learned that over the years. There is nothing we can do to make the community happy. And there's nothing we can do to make the community feel equitable. No matter what, we're always going to be wrong and it's never enough. And it's sad and it's tragic, but that is just the way it is. And I really wish it was different. But that is another reason why. I decided I was like, no, I don't want to police in the black community anymore. I like policing downtown. I like policing where there's people coming, you know, visitors and such. And we have all these conventions downtown. There's a lot of taxpaying citizens. Yo, but I don't want to be policing in the black community because I got tired of the tussle back and forward, back and forward. You're doing too much. You're not doing enough. And it's just never enough. Heroes when we try heroes when we die. You know, and fired when we try. It's just, it's aggravating, man. You know, and then 
I just uh Bishop Lyons, he's in the documentary with me. I love Bishop Lyons, you know. I don't agree with everything the man does and says, and he was a lot on the train of LMPD did this wrong and that wrong and LMPD messed this up. You know, yeah, LMPD's not perfect, man. We are a government organization of human beings, and people forget the human factor. And officers sometimes forget the human factor on the criminal side and on the community side, yo, but we are all in this together, but you know, Bishop Lyons was talking about how there was cover-ups in the Breonna Taylor, you know, the whole Breonna Taylor case. And I absolutely agree. And I think there's a lot of cover-up on the government side, but not from the officers on the ground serving the warrant. I mean, they people want the truth to come out, but the government and the, uh, the mayor and the media only released half-truths and released a lot of lies. And nobody ever addressed the lies involved with the case. How they kept calling Breonna Taylor an EMT. She wasn't. She was not. She got fired. And all the other stuff that went on with her, none of that stuff was addressed, but somehow she's a martyr for the cause. You know, but and you know, and just saying that there's cover up and lies, yeah. There's cover up and lies that were going, I believe, that were happening, you know, within Metro government with the mayor. And if you listen to John Maddenly, he was a sergeant. That was shot that night of the raid. His book is coming out in a couple days. He talks about that stuff, yo, but nobody in the police department, nobody in the government talks about it. It's just swept under the rug. The truth is out there. Were LMPD perfect in everything they did? No. Were mistakes made on LMPD's part of the raid? Of course. I said that human factor. But you cannot withdraw accountability from Brianna Taylor and Kenneth Walker. They don't just get off scot-free. They're not just some innocent victims of police brutality. They didn't just so go, no, go to sleep that night and wake up. Oh, the police are at the door. Why are they here? I mean, the police didn't just come in and just start shooting at random. A officer was shot serving a legit warrant, and people tried to dispute the warrant. I know the officer that wrote the warrants. And, you know, were there mistakes? Apparently there were. But from the guy I know that wrote the warrants, I don't think he would go out of his way to do the wrong thing. If somebody knows better, prove me wrong. Did he make a mistake? Possibly, possibly. But I don't think he went out of his way to make a mistake. And I tell people all the time, making a mistake, you know, if people make mistakes, but going out of your way to do the wrong thing is a whole nother story. And I don't believe that's what that officer, that detective did when he wrote that warrant. And the last thing, man. I want to address before I get ready to end the show, because my God, I just realized I'm at like an hour and 30 minutes into this thing. And I'm still not two sheets to the wind, one sheets to the wind, man. But so, um, oh my God, where am I at? Man, the room's spinning. <laughs> yeah, but yo, so like I say, uh, anybody that wants to watch the documentary I was featured in, it's on, uh, like I said, it's on the Newsy app. And go to the N-E-W-S-Y Newsy and you can download the app and it's called Model City. I'm in it. There's a couple other officers I know in it. So it's a very interesting documentary. I enjoyed it. It's very, very slanted, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to lie. It is very slanted. It does not make the police department look the best. But I am here to say that the Louisville Metro Police Department is a good police department. I'm not going to say that we're out. We don't we don't get everything right, but we don't do it wrong either. And I really do believe that we are a model police department. I work here because I love working here and I love the officers. The people are good. The city's good. But, you know, leadership, that's a different thing. I will call our leadership out and say, 
hey, I think our leadership has curved and um, has uh, capitulated, man, to the protest and all this other stuff and to the pressure and that they've kind of put the officers on the back burner. And I said, I don't agree with everything that the police department has done. But overall, the Louisville Metro Police Department is a decent police department. Regardless of the Department of Justice being here and investigating us, I still proudly wear this badge and I still proudly represent this department, even though the department does not necessarily care for me because nobody said anything about the book. And nobody said about anything about this podcast, which is getting ready to hit one year. Yo, so I love the department, but the department does not reciprocate the love to me that I give to it. And that's absolutely OK. But I will always be a defender of the Louisville Metro Police Department because this is my home. This is where I grew up in law enforcement. And this is where the men and women of this department have gathered around me for years, many years, saved my career and saved my life. So it's hard for me to come and crap on my department. And so that was one of my things, my concerns after I did the interview was like, man, I hope they don't chop up this. The four hours of, of, of uh, coverage they have of me in this interview and that they chop it up and make me sound like I'm just kind of, you know, crapping on the department. You know, there was one part on there where it was like we were talking about the night we got shot at on September 23rd. And they took one a one second snip of what I said. And it said we were defeated. And I feel like that was them like saying, hey, we lost. And that was me saying we lost. and We were defeated by this one guy that shot two of us. Yo, but that's not the case. We were not defeated. We might have been defeated morally because of the ass whooping we took and from the you know the year and a half of protest and ongoing never ending protest but you know but we we are still here. A lot of us are still here working in the streets, man. A lot of us have not gone nowhere. And another thing I forgot that the, I need to address on the documentary. They said that I have decided to stay with the department through all that. Wrong. I was not here when all this went on. I had left the Louisville Metro Police Department in October of 2018 to go join the United States Border Patrol. And I came back and returned to the Louisville Metro Police Department in June on June 15th of 2020 because of the protests. And that was another thing they got wrong. And another uh, another hilarious part for me, though, was a. Uh, so they also did a documentary. It's on. It's called Dig Season Two. So there's a guy that's featured in the uh, documentary. His name is Will Pitts. Will Pitts. We are not related, ladies and gentlemen. But for some odd reason, in the documentary, or excuse me, no, the podcast. In the podcast, Will Pitts says, "You know, yeah, yeah, I know Dexter Pitts. Yeah, yeah, we family. You know, he's my cousin. You know, we see him on at the barbecues and stuff. He comes around, but he don't really talk to the family a whole lot." That's a lie from the pits of hell. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know that light-skinned Negro. I don't know no Will Pitts. <laughs> I've never met another Pitts in the city until I watched this uh, documentary and until I listened to that podcast. Yo, so, you know, I just find it so funny that this guy was so quick to lie, say, yo, yeah, I know this officer. Bro, you don't know me, dog. You don't know <laughs> my family from Mississippi. Ain't. Hey, ain't no light-skinned people in my family with the last name Pitts, bro. We are not the same. We are not same-same, but different. Not even close. So I just found that kind of funny, man. So that, like I said, they meant that was on the uh, podcast that they did. But I just wanted to go out, go ahead and address that, man. That was freaking absolutely hilarious, man. So, man, I'm going to get ready to uh, go ahead and uh, close up shop, man. I've been going a little bit 
a lot longer than I intended. I got to get some sleep before I get on this plane. But before I go, I also want to leave y'all with this little bit of advice. Ladies and gentlemen, over in Europe, there's a war going on. Russia has invaded Ukraine. I feel for the Ukrainian people. But you know what? I also feel for the Russian people. And I feel for a lot of the Russian soldiers. That might be controversial, but it's not. Because you all have to learn to separate governments from the people. So the people in Russia, do you think they want all this going on? Do you think they want their sons and daughters marching off to war? No. And I'll be honest, one of the most things that has disgusted me in America in the last few weeks was how ugly and nasty we have been to people that are Russian that are now in America. I've seen where people are boycotting Rus- Russian restaurants in America and Russian uh, businesses. To me, that sucks. It'd be a different story if these people that own these Russian businesses were like, yeah, we support the invasion of Ukraine, definitely Ukraine. Yeah, but realize these people are here in America for a reason. If they loved Russia, they'd probably be in Russia, but they know what Russia is really about. But how dare us as Americans look down on people that are Russian that come here to get a piece of the American pie and a piece of the American dream. And we're turning their dream into a nightmare because we are no longer visiting their Russian establishments and their businesses because we're trying to show support for Ukraine and we're trying changing you know, our Facebook names and our, our Facebook pictures show support for Ukraine. How about you go out and just support your fellow Americans? These people are Americans. Now, a lot of them, some of them might not have, you know, gotten the uh, proper documentation to become Americans. Maybe they're in the process. But why would you go and hurt them and deny them your business and their money to, you know, make a point when they are not the ones that decided to invade Ukraine? You cannot push punish the people of Russia for the actions of one lunatic. Vladimir Putin. Man, stop treating your fellow Americans that are of Russian descent like they are the enemy. They are not the enemy. They are our fellow American brothers and sisters, man. You pouring out your vodka doesn't help anything. You pouring out your vodka does not help anybody one in Ukraine. Man, support your fellow Russian businesses, your local Russian businesses, dude. They are people like us. They have families, they have lives, they have kids, and they need money to make a living just like everybody else. So how dare us punish other people for, you know, the decisions of a lunatic leader in Vladimir Putin, man. So I just wanted to leave you all with that before I got ready to sign off, man. Dude, go find a Russian restaurant somewhere, man, and you know, visit there, you know, visit them and you know, give them your money, give them some business, dude. Don't punish them for what Putin's doing. Show them your support. Like I said, unless you got proof that they're on there like, hey, man, death to Ukraine. Bro, yeah, I can understand that. But if not, go show your fellow Russian-American citizens support, all right? So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Iron Pit Podcast. This has been a long, long alcohol-filled one. My apologies. But like I said, I had to get it done before I got on the plane. So, you know, the uh, you can listen to the Iron Pits on Iron Pits Podcast on Apple, you can listen on Spotify, Google, 
and Podbean. If you could, please go and rate the show and leave me a five-star review on Apple and leave me five stars on Spotify. And as you know, your boy wrote a book. I am Pitts, Memoirs of the American Patriot. Man, I have gotten gotten so many good reviews, and the book has sold wonderfully, man. I am so proud of this book. I'm supposed to be starting on the audio book very, very soon. Was going to do it late last week, but protesters kind of got in the way of that. So, yes, the I Am Pitts audiobook should be in the works soon. I'm hoping to have it done here in the next few months. So if you want a copy of the book, go to IamPitts.com and order your copy. Or hop on Amazon and put, put in I Am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot, and you can order there. Or if you would like, I can autograph a book to you and send it to you. And all you got to do is uh, drop me an email at IamPitts.com. And I will tell you how to order directly from me with an autograph. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the I Am Pitch Podcast. I'm going to go ahead and get ready to sign off and get ready, get my back ready to hop on this plane and head to San Antonio, Texas to be on the Black Rifle po- Coffee Podcast. And then later this week on Friday, I will be doing the Drinking Bros Failure to Stop Podcast. So, hey, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for listening to me Uh intoxicated rumble for a little bit as always i appreciate you all i love you all thank you for the downloads and we are quickly approaching nine thousand downloads man so thank you share the show with your friends share the show with your family tell them how great it is and go ahead and give me those ratings all right much love to each and every one of you all right you all take care and i will see you on the next one